Hello, Hyrock. Welcome to our daily devotional. We're continuing with our walk through the book of Isaiah. And yesterday we talked about uh, uh, God's complaint against Israel's unfaithfulness. And today we're going to see God's response to their unfaithfulness, which is to send one who will truly be faithful. And so we're in Isaiah chapter 49, verses 1 through 7, where we read this. Listen to me, all you in distant lands. Pay attention, you who are far away. The Lord called me before my birth. From within the womb, he called me by name. He made my words of judgment as sharp as a sword. He has hidden me in the shadow of his hand. I am like a sharp arrow in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, and you will bring me glory. I replied, but my work seems so useless. I have spent my strength for nothing and to no purpose. Yet I leave it all in the Lord's hand. I will trust in God for my reward. And now the Lord speaks, the one who formed me in my mother's womb to be his servant, who commissioned me to bring Israel back to him. The Lord has honored me and my God has given me strength. He says, you will do more than restore the people of Israel to me. I will make you a light to the Gentiles and you will bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. The Lord, the Redeemer and Holy One of Israel, says to the one who is despised and rejected by the nations, to the one who is the servant of rulers, Kings will stand at attention when you pass by. Princes will also bow low because of the Lord, the faithful one, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of the things I really love about this uh, passage as like these servant songs are continuing forward in Isaiah, one of the things I love in particular here is it helps clarify um, some uh, or dispel some of the confusion about who is meant by this uh, servant? Because sometimes it seems to refer to Israel and sometimes it seems to refer to the coming Messiah. And here, even the Messiah is called Israel, right? So in, in uh, verse three, he said to me, you are my servant Israel and you will bring me glory. So that seems like it's talking about the nation. But in verse six, it clarifies he, that is God says, you, the servant, will do more than restore the people of Israel to me. I will make you a light to the Gentiles and you will bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. So this servant, the Messiah, is from Israel, represents Israel, and is called Israel. But from the beginning, there's been like, and you kind of talked about this in one of our previous devos uh, last week. Uh, there's this uh, kind of winnowing, like where it starts out big and it narrows down to a point and then uh, explodes from there. Like, you know, it was, there was, uh, there was, um, Seth, not Cain. There was Noah, not his neighbors. There was Abraham being chosen from all the others. There's Isaac rather than Ishmael. There's Jacob rather than Esau. Then there's Judah amongst 12. There's always this winnowing down. And sometimes it's just a remnant of the people. And all the way down until we have one who is truly faithful, who is the Messiah. And this Messiah will call back not only Israel, but the world. And, and the Messiah in the, is in the truest sense, the one who wrestles with God, the one who is governed by God, is, is the, uh, the true representative of Israel, someone who finally will be faithful in all the ways that the nation of Israel has never been faithful. Um, and you can see some of the resistance to the work of the Messiah here. It's not going to be all, you know, uh, an easy path. Verse four, it says, the Messiah replies, I replied, but my work seems so useless and I have spent my strength for nothing and to no purpose. Yet I leave it all in the Lord's hand and will trust in God for my reward. And you get this idea. You start to see this clue 
that the Messiah is not going to be well received. I imagine for the people of Israel who are looking for their uh, Davidic Messiah, their the one who's the son of David, they're imagining like they would be fully behind this person. They're imagining kind of a military ruler, but. God's making it clear here, the Messiah is making it clear that they're not going to be so receptive to the Messiah. Uh, it, it, in fact, the Messiah is going to feel like, you know, frustrated in his work, uh, but he's going to have to trust in the God, trust in God to make something come to pass from it. And then in verse seven, uh, we get this uh, response that God is going to do through the Messiah. The Lord, the Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel says to the one who is despised and rejected by the nations. Here is this again. It's not going to be not just rejected by Israel, but rejected by the nations. It says, Kings will stand at attention when you pass by. Princes will bow low because the Lord, the faithful one, the Holy One of Israel has chosen you. And all of this reminds me of a number of passages from the New Testament, but I think in particular of uh, Romans 3, where Paul is quoting various Old Testament scriptures, where he says, you know, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. And God's response to this universal unfaithfulness is that, well, wait, there is one, and that one is Jesus, who is both both human and divine, the Messiah, despised and rejected, as it says in verse 7, but one day uh, the person at whom every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Um, so anyway, I, I see this growing and developing picture, this picture that's growing uh, more and more clear about who the Messiah will be, the nature of the Messiah, the, the mission of the Messiah, and the calling of the Messiah, and how it's going to be, you know, amazingly, like centuries before Jesus ever set foot on, on the earth, um, centuries before that, we already see this picture that, that Jesus would be rejected and despised, but would one day be honored across the world. So uh, I, I find uh, a I find this passage and passages like this very encouraging. And Dave, I'm wondering what you see in all of this. Well, I, I want to go to that passage that you you started with in verse four. I think the um, uh, Jesus obviously is unlike the rest of us, you know. And and I think sometimes I, I aspire to be like Jesus in ways that I just can't be, uh, right? And I, I just I don't have his power. I don't have his you know wisdom. I, you know, I don't have his perfection. Um, and, and yet we are called to be like Jesus in the sense that Jesus became like us, uh, in a sense, right? Jesus is in fact, the true human. He is the, the, the paradigmatic human. He's the one that all of us like, oh, that's what we're supposed to be like. And, you know, when I think of being fully human, having the full experience, I, I normally just in my head, what I mean is the good parts, but actually being fully human means experiencing all of it, which is what Jesus did, which is part of the amazing gift of the incarnation. And so in verse four, Jesus is going to experience discouragement. Of course, we see this multiple times, but, you know, in, in, in the gospels, but here it is, is Isaiah is already predicting it. Uh, it, it's sort of imagining into the words of the into the, the mouth of the Messiah, but my work seems so useless. I've spent my strength for nothing and to no purpose. And I have felt that so many times. I, I I'm gonna go out and just say I cannot believe there is any parent who have kids that are kind of I don't know more than eleven uh, who who have not 
said exactly this. My work seems so useless. I have spent my strength for nothing and to no purpose. All of us parents have said that. Every pastor, I think, has said it. Probably most people in most industries. I'm sure many teachers have said it. Uh, you know, just so many of us, I think, have that experience. And here's the thing. I, if I'm looking at the results of whatever that I've done in this moment, right? Because, of course, there's always sort of a longer story. But at any moment, when I'm looking at the results, I can feel encouraged or discouraged. And I think either way is dangerous because I am not called to be successful. I am called to be faithful. And if I take responsibility for being successful, sometimes I will end up being unfaithful in order to do it. And if I think success is that my kids like me, I might end up becoming unfaithful in order to accomplish that. Whatever it is that I think success looks like, being wealthy, having just economic security, right? You know, that's kind of the, the, the uh, you know, more uh, acceptable way to say it. Whatever I think of as successful, you know, being highly regarded as a very religious man, you know, kind of like a, a spiritual giant, whatever I regard as successful, if I pursue that, then I'm going to risk becoming unfaithful. But if I am faithful, there will be seasons at the very least where it'll look unsuccessful. And the evil one is going to come in in that very moment, all right? And believe me, I am speaking from experience as a pastor and as a parent. The evil one will come in at that very moment and say, you're doing it wrong. You're wasting all of your energy. This is dumb. You've been sacrificing for nothing, right? I, mean, I just, it's funny. I wrote a letter to some of my friends recently uh, just, you know, kind of sharing what was going on in me spiritually. And I actually said something very similar to this sentence in, in the second half of verse four. I was, and I, but I was acknowledging this is the lie of the evil one is that I have spent my strength for nothing and to no purpose. I, but I only know it's a lie from the evil one because I've heard it so many times in the past and I thought it was the truth. And over time, as I've matured in faith, I've been able now to discern. I still hear that. Right? It definitely still penetrates my, my, uh, my soul, but at least now I'm able to acknowledge that it's a lie. And, and now I can do battle with that false message. So here's really kind of what I'm, I'm, I'm trying to bring, bring, bring this to is that I think that so many of us, we, we feel so uh, determined to be successful. And of course, we celebrate successful people uh, that we end up compromising our faithfulness and we end up compromising our peace. This really goes back to what we were talking about yesterday, right? There's no, no rest for the wicked uh, in that if we end up choosing success over faithfulness, friends, even if our success was building a big church and raising flourishing children, even if that's our definition of success, we will not have rest in our souls. And so I, I think that this is the, the kind of the key. And, and then we hear it in the second, second part, second half of verse four, yet I will leave it all in the Lord's hand. It looks like my faithfulness has reaped nothing. But, but if, I've, if I've been faithful, then I will leave it all in the Lord's hand, and I will trust God for my reward. Right? In the words of Jesus, I will entrust myself to the one who judges justly. 
that I really think is, is the key to being able to experience both faithfulness and peace in a world that rewards or encourages neither. Um, so anyway, that's what I see here. Well, and as you're saying all that, I'm reminded of um, the archer's paradox. It's uh, this idea that um, if you aim at a target with a traditional longbow or a traditional bow, uh, if you aim at the target, you'll miss every time. And the reason why is because the arrow actually flexes around the bow staff. Uh, but the idea is that there are some goals and oftentimes the most important goals in life that are subject to the same paradox that we can never hit them if we aim at them. Happiness is, is usually the one that's talked about in this context, that we have to aim for something else if we want to have hit happiness. And as you're talking about, if we want true success, if we want peace, if we want happiness, then we have to aim for faithfulness rather than success or happiness. There, it's a principle in real life, physical life, as well as spiritual life, the archer's paradox. Yeah. Amen. Well, John, would you be able to close this in prayer? I'd love to. Our good and gracious God, help us to trust you. Give us the power of your spirit. We thank you for these, um, these writings. Thank you for the recorded history of, of your people and all the ways that we have gotten it right and gotten it wrong. Lord, help us to learn these lessons. Help us to be uh, to take home this lesson of faithfulness, to remember that in all of these things, the one thing that is truly clear is that you are faithful. So help us to trust you uh, in, in all of that, that success in the future, whatever is in the future is not in our hands, but it's in yours. So the best that we can do, the only thing that we can truly do is to follow the path that you lay out, that you lay out for us. Help us to be faithful in the way that Jesus was faithful, trusting you for his reward. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, thank you for joining us. Uh, I actually am not going to be with us, uh, with you guys for the next uh, few days. And the reason is because I'm practicing what I've been preaching here for the last couple of days. Maybe you've noticed I have a special passion around this whole, there's no rest for the wicked uh, and, and all of this. And I think part of this because I myself am realizing I can get, you know, sort of too wrapped up in, in some of the, the work and I need to rest and reconnect with God. Uh, I am the one who's been hearing all of these accusations from the evil one, and and I recognize them as such. And I want to go back until I can hear uh, and just and rest and have silence until I can hear God speaking clearly again. And I'm telling you this because I'd like you to be praying with me as I'm doing that. Uh, I'm going to be gone. I'm going to take uh, some of my family members. We're going to go on a vacation, and my real goal is to rest and reconnect with God. And I'd love it if you'd pray with me as I do it. Thank you, friends, and I look forward to seeing you when I get back.